The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew's not hard because it is the very first book of the New Testament. It's not Matthew 11, it's Matthew 1. No, it's Matthew 11, I'm sorry. Matthew, 1, ver- Matthew 11, verse 1. Now I got it. Matthew 11, verse 1. Now, going through Advent, we're talking about what the different Sundays represent. This Sunday is joy. Jesus brings joy. And we need to define joy as different than happiness. Happiness is based on what's happening. So I can be really very happy when you give me 200 bucks. You understand? I can get really very happy about that. I can also get really very sad when I get a bill for $200 I didn't know was coming. You understand? Because that's happening. That's, uh, if this happens, I have a joyous response to it. Something else happens, I have a sad response to it. So that's happiness, not joy. Joy is unchanged by the circumstances. Joy is based on something much deeper. It's an understanding that God is in control. I can be at peace. I can have joy in my life even though circumstances change on a daily basis, okay? So joy is understanding that Jesus is in charge no matter what the circumstances are. So we want to look in the life of John the Baptist a minute, and we're going to find a time in his life when he lost his joy, and Jesus gave him back his joy. Now let's look at that, because for all of us, Come on, just be dead honest. Are you, can you truthfully say you're just joyful all the time? Now, I can put on a good act most of the time. Just grin like a fox, you know. And, uh, but the truth is, uh, down in your heart of hearts, can you say you're joyful all the time? And the truth is you're not. And so how do we restore our joy? How, how does Christ restore our joy? Let's look and see how he did for John, and then we'll see. Uh, now it came to pass when Jesus had finished commanding his 12 disciples, now I'm in Matthew 11:1, commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison, about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things that you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, The poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out to the wilderness to see? 
but a reed shaken by the wind. What did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft gar garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in the king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you that among those born of women, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist. Now, let's think about John's story just for a minute. Uh, John was born of uh, an elderly mother and daddy. His father was a priest, Zechariah. And they hadn't been able to have children. In fact, they were beyond childbearing age. But God worked a miracle. And Elizabeth became pregnant with uh, her son John. And uh, in there for a while, even Mary left and came and stayed with, with Elizabeth and Zechariah because John and Jesus were cousins. Now, uh, John went on to become a forerunner of Jesus, a prophet. And he was a kind of a... Uh, uh, we would call him today very weird. Uh, he lived in caves. He was kind of a recluse. He had studied the Old Testament scriptures. He had a heart burning for the fact that God was going to uh, bring the, the Savior, the Messiah in his lifetime. And it was his job to prepare the people for the, the Lord Christ. And so he had been preaching repentance and the people would come down to the Jordan River and they would hear him. He had big crowds gathered around him at Jordan River, so much so as many even of the priests repented of their uh, uh, lifestyle. They had been living a greedy, unfaithful, uh, uns unscriptural lifestyle. And they too uh, were baptized uh, in repentance and so forth. And so this went on and on and on. And one day... Jesus came, and boy, John saw heaven open, and he saw God coming in the form of an angel and descending on his shoulder, and the voice out of heaven, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased, and, and John said, mm, I'm not supposed to baptize you, you're supposed to baptize me. And Jesus said, no, it'll fulfill scripture, so they did so. And then John said of Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And I'm not worthy to unlatch his shoelaces. He will increase, but I will decrease. <coughs> and pretty much from then on, John faded away, and the New Testament follows Jesus. Herod the Great's dead. His kingdom's been divided up again uh, among his relatives. And uh, Herod Antipas uh, has charge there over uh, the Judean area. And he marries a cousin, also the wife of his brother Philip. And uh, John goes berserk. He lets, he lets in on Herod uh, because just everything that should be right and good about a king has gone rotten in the life 
of Herod and John is appalled at it. He, he knows it's a scar on Israel. It's, it's, an, it's an affront to, to God himself. And so John lights in on him. Well, to keep John from stirring the crowds, John, uh, Herod has him arrested and just keeps him. He just sticks him in a prison and keeps him. But Herod can't quite get away from what John says. So from time to time, he gets John out. And the Bible says he even listens to him gladly. Well, the, the wife, Herodias, uh, didn't like the way things were going. Sounded like she was, if John, if Herod followed John, she was going to be on the outs. And her life of luxury was over. And so she began to plot against him. And he was carried away to a, to a fortress in Jordan known as Machaerus. And it's out in the middle of absolute nowhere. I mean the absolute nowhere. And there he was put in a dungeon. And we don't know how long. We don't know how long. But there he was stuck in a dungeon. There were no crowds. There was no one to preach to. Uh, time was standing still, and yet his motor was running. Have you ever been there? You ever been where your motor's just running wide open and your life's just plain old stopped? You can't get anything going. No matter what you try, there he was. He was stuck. He was in prison. He was alone except when they'd let a few of his disciples come. He had become discouraged. <coughs> Couldn't help be afraid. He wasn't afraid of eternity. The guards were brutal and mean. The other prisoners that were there were political prisoners and bad men, evil men. And he had no idea uh, what his end was going to be, but it probably was not going to be pleasant. The Romans didn't kill people in pleasant ways. They killed people in very unpleasant ways. What enough for Rome to kill you. Rome wanted to hurt you. And not only did they want to hurt you, they wanted to make a spectacle out of your suffering. So that if you suffered publicly long enough, it would be a deterrent to anybody else crossing Rome. I uh, have an opportunity all the time now. And, uh, you know, at one time I did 40 weddings a year and uh, did 14 one June. Now then I do about that many funerals a year. Uh, because most of the folks that helped me start uh, Christ Church were in their 30s and 40s, and guess what? That was 30-something years ago. <laughs> and so time has marched on for us. But as I talk to the, uh, the, 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 those that are facing death, they know they love Jesus. They know they're going to heaven. The question is just how much suffering are they going to have to go through before they get there? And it's kind of like what I've always said. I'm not afraid of dying, but getting dead might be real hard. 
you know. And so it doesn't matter about John. He knew heaven was his, but he didn't know what on earth he was going to have to go through before he got there. Prison's also designed to humiliate you, humiliate you. Most of the prisoners had no clothes. They did, they just had a rag or two. Uh, there were no sanitary facilities. They ate garbage. What was left over from the castle meal was thrown down in the dungeon. That's what they ate. Uh, they were reduced to animals. And it was designed to humiliate, to hurt their souls. There's a passage where it says about uh, Joseph when he was in prison and his two friends had abandoned him. There's a passage in the book of Isaiah, I mean of a, of a psalm that said his feet, uh, excuse me, his soul was bound in iron. His soul was bound in iron. Can you bind somebody's soul in iron? No, his feet were in fetters. His feet were in fetters. But what was bound in iron? His soul was bound in iron. He had been reduced to as low as he could be. And if he wasn't sick physically because living in those conditions can sure bring about sickness and sores, he was certainly heart sick. And he began to doubt, why is God letting this happen to me? Why, is, why am I here? What, is it over? Maybe it, maybe it wasn't even real. Maybe it's just... And so he sent two of his disciples to Jesus. Now, now understand, this was the man that was so on top of it that priest from Jerusalem had come and were baptized. He had identified the Savior. He himself knew. He had to decrease. Jesus had to increase. He knew it all. He had this knowledge. But his heart was sick. So he sent his disciples, and they said to him, Are you the coming one? Or are we to look for another. <laughs> and I know when Jesus heard it, all of what I just told you clicked in his mind. And Jesus could have said, well, I'll just pay the boy a visit. I'll just go over and sprung him. But he didn't. He answered in a very sly way. Jesus said, go and tell John, the things you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he 
who is not offended, who, who receives. Blessed is, but are those who receive. That's all he said to them. Go tell him. Go tell him what you see and go tell him what you hear. Why did that make any difference? How come Jesus didn't say just, I am? How come Jesus didn't say, yeah, you go tell John, I'm him, it's okay, and it'll be fine? Why didn't he tell him that? Because he was using John's own ministry. Jesus was using John's own ministry, his own preaching, his own teaching to restore the joy to his life. Look with me. Now, you're going to have to do this the old-fashioned way because remember our machine was broken. So there's some Bibles under the pews. You have some downloaded on your cell phones. And uh, so look with me in the book of Psalm 146. Psalm 146. I'm not here pages. I don't guess cell phones make pages. Page. So go for me. It'll make me feel better. There you go. There we go. I noticed that Grant will say turn to some scripture and I don't hear nothing. And years ago before that happened, we, pri we, we prided ourselves around here. If I said turn to a certain scripture, I had to pause and all you hear was Psalm 146, verse 7. <laughs> when the Lord comes, He's going to execute justice for the oppressed. Verse 7. Who gives food to the hungry. The Lord gives freedom to prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over strangers. He relieves the fatherless and the widows. And the way of the wicked, he turns upside down. That's a prophecy over in the book of Psalm about Jesus. Guess who preached using that same psalm? John. John said when the Christ comes, when the Messiah comes. These will be the things. These are the proofs. This is what John was looking for in order to identify the Savior. Look with me in Isaiah 61. Back to the right hand. One of the big books right after Psalm. Isaiah 61, first three verses. Thank you. I heard it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. Did Jesus just not tell the disciples to go and report that the poor have heard the gospel? He just told them that. Where did he get that? Why was Jesus telling them that? 
because it was already prophesied in the book of Isaiah that the Messiah, the Savior, would be preaching the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to open the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of uh, vengeance from our Lord, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give beauty for ashes, all for the joy of mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, and he may be glorified. And there are many more of these prophecies. I could have gone on with 10 or 12 more of these exact prophecies out of the Old Testament that told what the Messiah, the Savior was going to do when he came into his ministry. John knew it, but the word was, go tell John what you've seen and heard. Now we're not given the results of the story. But what do you think John did when he got the report that Jesus was in fact fulfilling all of the prophecies concerning him in the Old Testament? John's joy was restored to his life. Did he get out of prison? No. In fact, it got worse. He eventually had his head cut off in that same prison, brutally. In fact, it was a merciful killing. For Romans just to get mad and whack your head off, now that's a good thing. That lasted a second or two instead of days out on a cross. But he did die. But he died joyfully. <laughs> he died at peace. Because Jesus was doing the very things John prophesied out of Scripture, Jesus would do. Amen. See, we lose sight of it. Jesus has done for us what Jesus said he would do. Jesus is doing for us what he said. But we lose sight of it. We get our eyes out on the world, out on our troubles and problems, and when we lose our joy. You want your joy back? Get back in the Bible and start seeing what Jesus said he was going to do. He's already done for you. Get to praising him and thanking him for what he's done. Being excited about your walk with Christ instead of the world around you. There are a lot of prisons out there. You hear me? There are a lot of prisons. There are folks who are hung up with consequences of past choices. It's become a prison for them. I've had people come to my office that have been saved and they say, why is God still punishing me? And I say, he's not. You just hadn't outlived all the consequences yet. He still loves you. He saved you. He's taking care of you. Amen. Just put one foot in front of the other and, and take him by the hand and go on. Don't sit there and stew in the, in the, in the mess. They're prisons of debt. They're prisons of loneliness. They're prisons of broken hearts. Boy, this time of year is so tough. Man, if you've got a big old happy family, it's a great time of year. If you don't, it can be very lonely and heartbreaking. 
for relationships to be destroyed, children not speaking to parents, parents not to children, and siblings and squabbles and divorces. And the, it can be painful this time, terribly painful this time of year. It can create a loss of joy. People worried about jobs. You know, there are, pit, there are people who are in the prison of money. I'm talking about they have money and they're still in the prison of money. Now, that don't make sense, does it? You think if you have money, how could you have a, be in a prison of money? Because you're trusting in money rather than Jesus, and money won't make you happy. Amen. It just won't do it. That's why Jesus told a rich man, give it all away. Oh, I can't do it. Well, go ahead and trust in it then. See how much happiness you get. You're not. There are those who are hung up in addiction. They got health issues. Depression. Boy, people that suffer from depression, that's a, that's a weird disease, man. Depression's a terrible disease. Most depression can be helped with medication. But the problem is a depressed person is so depressed they don't make the effort to go to the doctor and take the medicine that they're supposed to take. Isn't that crazy? But I'm telling you, if you've not suffered from depression, you don't know. There's some hurting folks out there. They're in prison. Prison of uncertainty, prison of fear. I met a new friend recently. And I'm saying about five months. I'm getting to know more about him as time goes. But when he was in his mid-20s, early 20s perhaps, he joined the army, and he served two tours in uh, Iraq as a sniper. Now, just put that in your peace pipe, because what he got up every morning to do was, that was his job. That was his only job. You understand? He didn't have to kill anybody every day, but he got up every day with the assignment that he was a, a sniper. Well, he got through with those two tours. He got out of the army, went back about his business as a diesel mechanic. But he had a contract with the government. They could call him back within 10 years, year eight and a half. They called him back. He's now in his mid-30s. He joins regular army, goes to Afghanistan. Has some menial job inside the camp. Some CO read his jacket and immediately put him in special ops. He was out in a Humvee, and those uh, improvised explosive devices, one went off on each side of that Humvee. Left him paralyzed from his waist down. Terrible headaches. Through a, a brand new miraculous surgery, he got his legs back. But every day of his life, and so far as he knows, every day of the rest of his life, he will suffer from headaches. From a mild headache to severe migraines. Every day. Now let that play on your nerves a while. Live in that prison a little while. Okay? Live in that prison. Think about that prison. I can't get him out of that prison. But I can love him and help him have joy in that prison. Jesus was able to give John 
joy. Jesus knew how. He just quoted the Old Testament, said, go do it, boy. And it was exactly what John needed. Jesus knew how. He could have gone and gotten him out of prison, but that wasn't God's design. But he had joy in the prison. Now, we are the body of Christ. We're the hands, feet, legs, lips of Jesus. There are people in prison of all makings that are, that this time of year, especially in all times of the year, they have no joy. Your heart, does your heart care? Are you going to go out of your way, any at all, to find somebody, seek somebody who's without joy? Love them. Reach out to them. Pray for them. Encourage them. Be their friend. Be there for them. When everybody else has turned their back, be there for them. That's Christianity at work, by the way. Christmas joy is not about presents under the tree on December 25th. Christmas joy is the work and the power of Christ in people's lives. Maybe you need to return to your joy this morning. Walk away from that prison. Come back to Jesus. Maybe you know somebody's in prison and God's nudging you. Go to them. Love them. You know it's going to be a little messy. You know you're going to get involved in, in time and emotional energy you'd rather not expend. But you need to. Jesus did for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're so good to us. You're so precious to us. Oh, I can get in the doldrums. And then I go have a good self-talking too. And Johnny Latimer, you're absolutely stupid. God has blessed you. He's loved you. He's saved you. He's given you opportunity after opportunity. You're letting, you're letting your focus on one or two little things destroy from you the joy of Christ. You're letting some of your own misdoing steal your joy. You're picking up some kind of a false burden that's not even yours to pick up trying to carry it. Give it to Jesus. Quit thinking about yourself. Quit worrying about yourself. Go out there and love somebody else. Look around. It won't take you two seconds to find somebody that's hurting worse than you are and needs your love. Start loving somebody. Start spreading the joy that our Lord Jesus is the answer. He heals. He binds up. He takes care of us. Eternally, we're His forever. Heaven's ours. Eventually, it's all fixed. God, touch our hearts this morning. Some may need Jesus today. That's flat out not saved. You can slice it any way you want to. But they haven't given their heart and life to Jesus Christ. They haven't admitted their need for Him. They've not opened their heart and said, Jesus, I believe in who you are. I believe what you've done. And I trust and accept you now as Savior and Lord. Today's that day. Do it.
Others need to renew their faith and get out of that pity party and start serving the Lord Christ. I don't know how God's spoken to you. I'm going to be down front. Uh, Grant will be down here. We're going to share. We're going to be open to your, 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 the, the, the moving of the Spirit of God. We're going to worship. And however you do today will be perfect for us. Lord, just make me be obedient and those around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.